And it is a good morning, and I'm glad you're here. They taught us in speech class. They taught us in speech class, if you're going to begin to talk to a crowd, always have something quick and witty to say at the beginning to get everyone's attention. So I've been sitting all morning trying to think of something quick and witty to say, and I'm still drawing a blank. You have to be quick and witty to think of something like that. But I got your attention, didn't I? Be thankful I didn't do what I, I did several, quite a number of years ago. I got up in front of the congregation. I said, I want everyone to stand. And everybody stood. And I said, okay, now I want everyone to sit down. Everyone sat down. I said, see, I've got great command of the audience this morning. That works. I'm glad you're here today. We've been talking about some things in the last few weeks about the beginnings of our lives and the process of our lives and the, the progress of our lives that we, we follow as Christians. You know, we're, we're good about getting people to understand fundamental concept of, of immediate obedience. But where do we go from there? And where does our life go from there? And there are some things that we see in the beginning days of the church, from the very beginnings of what people did and how they conducted themselves, that I want us to think about in that regard. We're looking at Acts chapter 2 and those beginning days of the church. And I call the lesson this morning, When They Became We, because there is that concept that we've got people that are out there, and that when they are added to the body, Acts 2.47 or earlier here, and they're added to them, the idea of the they, that scattered whoever they are, becomes a we. And that's what we're talking about this morning when the they became we. Look at Acts chapter 2, picking up in verse 40. And you notice in verse, verse 40, it says, and with many other words he testified. Notice that, with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, so somebody tell Daryl McDonald that it's all right if I speak a long time this morning. With many other words, I don't know why I picked on Daryl. He's always giving me a hard time, and I love him, uh, and all because I'm afraid of him. But seriously, with many other words he ex he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Let me pause for just a moment. We talked about baptism. We emphasized that importance. We've noticed the change that's there, that beginning process. And notice this here. They that, gla they that gladly received his word, those who gladly received his word, were baptized, and that day, about 3,000 souls, notice the phrase, were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. I want you to think about something. The they became a we. A scattered individuals became a part of a whole. The individuals became a part of a group. There was a disjointed that became jointed. There was a disbursement that became a unit. I think you got it. I think that's pretty straightforward. I said it several ways, didn't I? I didn't need to. You understand what I'm talking about. Well, I think about an old cartoon, and I may have shared it here at some time in the past. It's an old Peanuts cartoon in which, in which Linus, her little Lucy's little, Lucy and Linus are in this one, and, and Linus is sitting in front of the television, and Lucy comes in, and she tells Linus to change the channel, that there's something she wants to watch. And Linus says, why should I change the channel? I'm watching television. And Lucy balls up her fist and says, 
If you don't, these, these are going to get you. That's why. In the next frame, Linus has changed the channel. Lucy's in front of the television set, and he's walking away. And in the final frame, he's looking at his hand, and he says, why can't you guys get together like that? I think it's a good story. I think it's interesting. Why can't you guys get together like that? Well, the intention here in Acts 2 is that they get together. They bring them together. And the remainder of this chapter, and really you go down through the fourth chapter in particular, we see the unifying, the growing and unifying nature of the church. Before we begin to see the human problems begin to arise, we see this real unifying, praying together, worshiping together, caring together, eating together group of people. So I think there is a word picture, a word picture of the church that is painted in the New Testament. It is the description family or the description of family. And I think it's a great and recognizable picture because we understand what the concept of family is. Whether we fully see it all around us today, we understand what family really is. Even in the 1970s, we knew what family was because Sly and the Family Stones said it's a family affair. Not the television show, just the song. It's a family affair. So to be added to the family is among, in our lives, is among the most important relationships, situations that we're going to have in our lives. Perhaps that is why Paul uses the illustration of being adopted in in Romans chapter 15. He uses the illustration of being adopted into a family, becoming a part of a family, joined together. Where we weren't joined, we are joined, pulled together in that regard. Perhaps that's why he uses that illustration. Some of you know just what I'm talking about because you've been through it. We have. We understand that. And there is nothing quite like an adoption time. Now, there's nothing quite like a baby literally being born into the family because then that baby becomes a part of the family. But the adoption is is unique and special in its own regard because here you've got this person who was not a part of you that becomes as much a part of you as human beings possibly can be. That when that judge, when that judge drops his gavel and says it's done, there is that, that, that realization of something exists now that didn't exist before. Something is a part of me now that really wasn't fully a part of me before. There is something here. When that finishes that proceedings, there are no words to fully convey the emotions, the adding of a beautiful child to a family. I know it for a fact. I know it for a fact. So when we look at moving from that real sense of separation, disunity, to becoming a we. It is no small matter. It's not a casual event. It is basic. It is real. And it is fundamental to being a Christian. Notice where we are in Acts 2. Acts 2, not Chew. Acts 2. You try to say that fast. 
Notice where we are in Acts 2. Peter has offered that great message. They've, they've stopped him, it seems, in the midst of it and said, men and brother, what should we do? He's just told them that Jesus is the Christ, the one that's been crucified. They've crucified. God raised him up, made him Lord in Christ. Men and brethren, what should we do? He tells them to repent and be let everyone be baptized, as we read. And then we see the response. But notice this. There is a challenge and a response. The challenge is out there. Peter put pressure on them. He didn't just say, hey, if you want to, it's good. Sometimes we get pretty casual about Christianity and being added to the church or added to the body. We get pretty casual about it. But it says there is an exhortation with many words. We're not talking about a used car salesman words. We're talking about important words of understanding and determination. Pressure is needed sometimes when things don't happen naturally. When people are wandering and they're kind of on the edge out there and they're wandering around, they need something to push them over. We need the reminder that says, as Paul does in Romans 3 and 15, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are lost without this. Or to take his thought even further into the book as he carries it out throughout the book of Romans. We go to the seventh chapter and he says, who will save me? Who will save me from the body of this death? There is a challenge. There is a pressure. It's important and it's needed. Save yourselves, he says. Save yourselves from this crooked, perverse, untoward generation. And so he puts it in their hands. Ultimately, it comes down to the point. The closer is there. You make your choice. It's kind of like Joshua with the Israelites, isn't it? The time had come. Joshua was near the end of his life. Call them together. And he says, okay, here's where we've been. Here's where we are. Now you choose. You choose. He puts it in their hands. He puts pressure on them. And you can read the whole thing in Joshua, in Joshua 24, you can read the whole thing, but he comes down to verse 15, you choose this day whom you will serve. It's in their hands. And there is the response. The response, there were receivers who were added to them. And don't you love that word? They became a part of them. They weren't just hangers on. They weren't just extra things in the pockets. They weren't just something that was kind of out there stirring around. They were added to them. I'm kind of reminded of a couple of scenes in that movie, The Patriot. And if you don't want to watch a bloody movie, don't watch that one. But in the movie, The Patriot, there are a couple of scenes in there where the people need convincing. They need convincing to join the forces of the rebellion and independence. But even with the words spoken, even with the power of them, there are still some who don't want to hear it and don't want to follow. But on this occasion with Peter, with the question with his response, the respondents were joined or added to those who were already aligned with Jesus. They became a part of it. They were added to it. They were the ones to whom others were added later. And then you pick up the words. That's not the end of it. They didn't just join the club, pay their dues. They were in for the rest of their lives. Say, I'm a member of X club. I've got it. No, it says they continued. They continued steadfastly. Don't you love that word steadfast? We don't use that one much anymore. They were fixed. They were there. They were determined. And while steadfastly can be solidly fixed in place, that post is steadfast. It's not moving. 
It can mean that. When tied to continuing action, it is about a determined movement that we find. That's what the writer of Hebrews was getting at. Seeing we're compassed about so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin that does so easily beset us. And what does he say? And let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. It is a determined forward motion that we take and we follow. We hang on to it. And we are a part of that. And it is steadfastly moving. I was telling somebody the other day, I love watching sprinters. But in a way, I love watching distance runners. Just don't want to really be one. Most people, they're, they're out of their minds. But don't you love watching sprinters? When they launch out of those blocks, they launch out of those blocks. I can't, I, I can't show you. And they move with such fluid motion for whatever the sprint is. If it's, if it's 100 meters or whatever it is. And you watch and it just is a force in motion. Every muscle tensed, everything flowing. And there is that fluid motion. That's the idea of steadfast here. Of that fluid motion going forward. But notice, he doesn't stop it there. He says there are, they were steadfast in some particular ways. They held on to the apostles and a fellowship with them, the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They were close to these men. They were a part of them. They shared time with them. They listened to them. They had a connection with them in every way. And the breaking of bread that Kyle was mentioning, whether in this case fully means the Lord's Supper or they spent time together, they did eat with, together with one another from house to house. Probably here they're talking about recognizing the breaking of the bread, which is the, our Lord in that regard the lord's supper and in prayer isn't it interesting what he mentions those three those three really three to four things he mentions there and prayer probably the one that gets shortened the most is the determination of prayer but they continued steadfastly you're moving forward and holding on these things became a part of their lives and if you follow it, it says fear rain not being afraid rain not being afraid but an earnest reverential respect of the apostles of God's word of what God has done of what Christ has put before them and, and and so forth there is that respect and determination that is in their lives and they held steadfastly to these things fear reigned because they knew they were in the presence of the greatness of God's work. You know how we are. When we know that something big is happening, when somebody important is coming along, we put on our best manners when we're in the presence of people or we consider the event truly important. You know, that's when you were a kid and your mom would get you all dressed up and make you wear the nicer clothes and say, now, don't act like you do when on normal days, put on your manners today. Okay, yes, we do. When we consider it to be someone important, we do that. You know, you think about how Jesus spoke in Luke 7 to Simon the, the Pharisee when he was at his house, said, I came in, you didn't wash my feet, you didn't give me any oil for my head or anything like that. That was a way of saying to Jesus, he wasn't important to them. But when somebody is important, when something is important, that's that fear we're talking about here. It's an earnest, determined respect. And it was done communally. They became communal in it. 
They made what they had available to one another to share with one another, to deal with one another. They gave money. They sold property. They used their homes. They opened their doors. They freely shared their food, whatever they had. They made it available to be used by one another as best they could in dealing with one another in every way they could. Look at from the point that we read on through the end of the chapter. Read on through the fourth chapter. We find it both at the end of this chapter, the end of the fourth chapter. They were sharing what they had. That was how important this community of life, this, this fellowship, this we that we're talking about was to them. And they lived it daily. Daily they were in one accord. Daily they lived it. They were in one accord, in harmony with one another, publicly, privately, in the temple, in their homes. It was very important to them, this body of believers of which, to which they were added. It was not just a community of, or a group of people that they saw from time to time. It was their family. And it was recognized by other people and it became one of the great influences of their time and their place. As people saw them, had favor towards them, it brought more and more people to understand. And I've got to tell you, when you get to the end of the chapter in verse 47, and the Lord was adding to the church daily, not because they were separated, but adding to them. As they were added, more were added. They could see the community that was in that. So that brings me to this. You thought it was done. We're just getting started. Now, let me tell you, that's where this brings us. Because you bring it into the 21st century right here in our community, in our place, in our time, we were intended to be a we. We were intended to be we. You can go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 when God looked on the individuality of Adam, that unique creature that he had made. And what does it say in verse 18? But that it is not good that man should be alone. And I know they're just talking about the male-female relationship and the needs and all of, all of that, but the same point and the same principle is true. It is not good for us to be alone. We are intended to be a, a sharing community of people. There was a man several years, quite a number of years ago now that I knew, a very young preacher in those days, that I was encouraged to go and talk to him. We sat and we visited for, for quite some time. Because he had become a Christian a short number of years earlier, but shortly after becoming a Christian, he quit attending church services, quit participating with the other members of the church in the area and so forth. And as I was sitting and visited with him, he said to me, I am a better Christian away from these people than I am with these people. He went on to explain to him what he meant. He knew their weaknesses. He knew their flaws. He knew them on a daily basis. He knew how they lived their lives sometimes, and he felt like they were so, so imperfect to come in and sing songs like we sing or to participate as we do as Christians. He felt like that was hypocrisy in his mind. Rather than having an open recognition of we are all short of the glory of God, we all need one another, we all need to be a part, and rather than being a part of the helping cure he just segregated and separated. Too bad. He lost. But I still hold to the idea it's not good that we be alone. 
if you read the bulletin article, both of you that read the bulletin article this week, you recognize there are things that are to be done together and things that are, I know we do individually. Don't get it out and read it now. That's not the point. <laughs> There's not going to be a test at the end of the sermon, okay? But there are some things that we do individually. There's no doubt about it. You understand that. But to act as if we don't belong together, so let me offer to you briefly as I try to bring this together here. Let me offer to you a few thoughts, and you can take them as just my rambling thoughts, but here are some current concerns I have for modern-day Christians, for us generally, not specific uh, to us as a group, but perhaps some application there. Here is my concern for us generally, for I fear. I fear as Christians today we would rather do about anything than study the Bible. The Bible is read less today than it probably has been at any time. We spend less time in reading the Bible, studying on it, thinking on it, than maybe we ever have. We would rather do just about anything rather than study the Bible. I will say growing up, we, every Sunday, we, as I've told you before, we would have that, how many daily Bible readers do we have, and raise your hands, and the numbers were in the minority even then. But sometimes I've, I've asked along the way about people reading the Bible on a daily basis. Oh, I have, hard, I have a hard time finding time to do it. The fact, and I don't mean to be unkind, but maybe it sounds unkind. The fact is you'd rather do other things than read the Bible. And I know how challenging that can be, but that's another story. But the fact remains, we would rather do about anything rather than study the Bible individually or collectively. Thankfully, that's not true of many of you I know. Secondly, I fear we, would, we, would, we try to spend as little time as possible in the fellowship of worship. We want to limit our time together. Avon Malone used to call us clock-eyed brethren. And if you knew who Avon Malone was, if you don't, it doesn't really matter, but I still like the, the statement. We're clock-eyed brethren. We like to limit our time. Yes, I know we're busy. Yes, I know we have a lot of things going on. Yes, I know we've got jobs and occasions and families and, and the lunch, the dinner bell is ringing somewhere. I understand that. I do too. I don't mean that we need to sit in here for hours on end. But when we come in with the determination, I want to keep as little time within the assembly of the Christians and being in the fellowship to worship God with other Christians, when we spend as little time as possible in doing that, there's something amiss in our lives. That's one of my fears. Number three in my fears is I fear we will let anything keep us from being with other Christians in social gatherings. We just avoid it if we possibly can. Fourthly, I fear that we have lost the gladness and simplicity of heart for the priority, the priority of God's people, our family. You can let those sink in. I didn't put them on the screen because somebody might try to quote me later. I'd rather say I didn't say that. But no, in all seriousness. Those are some of the fears that I have that we've come to in our 21st century lives. That other things become far more important than our interest in our family to which we were added. So here is my challenge to you. Here is my challenge. Let me individually, let you, let us be more of we. Let us become more of a we. One, let's seek the instruction of the Word. 
and those who share it. Let's participate with one another in thinking and studying and seeking God's Word together. Secondly, let spiritual meals and physical meals become opportunities to spend time with people to whom we are added, who are a part of our lives as best we can. And thirdly, add the value of the spiritual family to your continual and unceasing prayers. Not just those who are sick, but each one of us is a family. Let us be a part of one another's prayers and let us share our prayers with one another. That's my challenge. Let us, let me, let you be more of a we. I know that's bad grammar, but I hope it gets the point across. It would be easy for me to say as I read a passage like this, and pick it up and simply say, we need to go to church more. But if that's all you got out of this, you missed my point. It is about the fabric of your life and my life. For we are truly a tapestry in our lives, an interwoven tapestry. It is really, as I said in the beginning, what we see in these people and should be for us a family affair. We see it in them. You can't read those words in the latter part of this chapter. You can't read what those people did and think they didn't care about one another. You can't read it and see them as a dispersed people who didn't spend time together. You can't read this and think that they were uninvolved in one another's lives. You can't read this and think that way at all. When you read these first chapters of Acts, you realize these people had an interest in one another that was unyielding, that was determined, that was, that was life-affirming that was truly Christ-like in every example. Shouldn't that be what we strive to be? This morning we'll sing a song of encouragement while we haven't spoken of what we did a week or two ago very much this morning, but the gospel is our only hope and our only salvation through Jesus Christ. Maybe there's someone who needs to obey the gospel this morning to be baptized into Christ or you have some other need to make known. If you do, let this be your opportunity this morning. We desire that everyone have their lives right with God and this is one of those opportunities. If you need to respond in a public way, let me encourage you to do so. Let us all encourage you to do so while we stand and while we sing the song together.